Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm Jim Galante, and this is quarter number one of our show. Dustin, we've got lots to talk about. Joining us in quarter number four will be our good friend Jeff Byers to talk wrestling, where we'll let you take charge of that event. But first off, our topic for quarter number one, something that is changing the face of college football, and that's NIL. Has there, Along with the transfer portal, this is completely changing the game, isn't it? It is. I mean, and the crazy thing is uh, there was almost no lead time whatsoever. You know, you saw some of these court fights and things that preceded it, but the NCAA really pushed back and then just opened the floodgates at once. So the interesting thing is uh, the change came in in such a fast way. And I would say unregulated or certainly underregulated way. And then they're going to try to implement guide rails along the way and that's that's what really has kind of made it crazy uh, I, I do think it's going to settle into something that more closely resembles normal day-to-day business where you're getting endorsements and stuff like that from from players and it's going to be I think less about promising millions and millions and and uh, and we'll talk about that that component of it later and more about kids actually earning what, what they get from advertisers and people like that. But yeah, it's, it's been crazy. And I think we're taking this opportunity to point out some of the key events on the timeline here, uh, really with an eye toward the fact that it's still evolving and will continue to evolve for a while. Um, all in all, I think it's a good thing for for players. I think, you know, order just needs to prevail a bit first. In explaining, though, why this happened so quickly, so suddenly is because this made its way to the Supreme Court. The NCAA essentially got their butt kicked by the Supreme Court. And it it happened very quickly then, as you pointed out. But the problem was the NCAA should have been smart enough to see this coming for years. And they could have preempted a lot of this by acting earlier. But because they did not... This is what they ended up with. They made their own bed with this, didn't they, Dustin? They did. They did. Absolutely. And I think it was one of those things that, you know, really made people question what, you know, to, to borrow a line from office space, what exactly do you do here? You know, what, what, are, what are you doing? And it, it was almost just spending so much time litigating and it makes them look so bad, I think, to... You know, all, they're spending so much time, money, and resources fighting against you know players getting what was going to be an inevitable. I think anyway, and in this case, really just showed some uh, ineptitude and uh, you know all kinds of other things in just saying, okay, uh, let, 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 let's just do it then. Um, I, like I said, I do think um, over time. They're going to be able to add some things, some safeguards that don't make it such a, a wild west scenario. But that made it really difficult, I think, on on coaches and, and people like that. And it really upped the pressure and the pace with which 
Um, these collectives had to form and you had to get organized and figure out what exactly are you doing to be competitive and what does being competitive look like? What does that feel like? Um, and I think, you know, from Penn state's perspective, they've remained pretty much, um, like, I don't think they're immune to this stuff, but they have, they haven't lost a Jordan Addison because he's looking for more money someplace else. They haven't really succumbed to all the craziness that's going on out there. And I think part of it is, and James Franklin would say the same thing is that they're not really looking for kids who prioritize the money first. You know, when you're out there recruiting, uh, you can get to know a player's motivations. And I think the type of kid that they were looking for in the first place wasn't really like that. So I think they had a lot of those kids on the roster already, and they're continuing to pursue those types of kids. And, you know, you're going to get surprises and stuff along the way. But uh, I think that the ideal Penn State prospect, whether it was 10 years ago or today, aren't going to have that kind of money make or break their situation. Um, and so... I think it's been pretty quiet here. Once you say all things considered, it's been pretty quiet at Penn state when it comes to players coming or going and, and talking about those big figures. It has been very quiet and it's, is a different strategy that Penn state is using versus some of the other places. I did want to point out, you mentioned about things settling down. Will there be some regulations? I think we also have to point out though, the NCAA, because they lost so badly that they're now in a tough situation where I believe they're fearful to act. One of the things that we've talked about is one of the rules is supposed to be money is not supposed to be the inducement for a high school player to attend a specific university. And we're going to hit on this. Uh, the player from Florida, Jaden Rashada, who supposedly signed a $13 million deal with a collective at Florida to attend Florida. Now, that is obviously a violation of how this is supposed to work. Dustin, do you think the NCAA is going to do anything about that? Or or did they do something about it already? You know, what was something happening behind the scenes that Florida wasn't able to, to deliver on that promise to Jaden Rashada? I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know exactly the circumstances, but it would seem that for one reason or another, he arrived at Florida, signed his national letter of intent uh, with the idea that he was going to get he was going to get thirteen million dollars at some point in time, uh, and it would appear that that changed for some reason or another. He ended up leaving Florida. He was released from his national letter of intent, and he's back on the market again. But yeah, this this is one of those things that. I, I think it's going to be a rarity, and maybe this is one of those things that's really in the NCAA's purview. Hard to enforce. You know, you can sell, you can sign a futures contract with somebody saying, hey, in the future, I'm guaranteed this amount of money. Like, how do you go about enforcing who's offering that money and when they're, when the player's getting that money and, and all that? But yeah, this is, this is one of those things that I think really gives, name image likeness and unrealistic uh, reputation to people who kind of follow it loosely. I, I don't think, I think it's going to be the exception to the rule that you hear stuff like this. And now you got a kid who was committed once uh, I think committed to Miami. You know, we heard about the money in that situation, flipped the Florida because it looked like they were going to match what he was able to get. And now he's in the open market again. And it's like, 
who's going after him? Uh, and what are you getting when you do sign this kid? Uh, is he really, is he hard pressed to, to make that money? And are you trying to find that money to get him? You know, it's just, it just is a new way of um, decommitting. I think like you, you look at kids who decommit several times and how, how reliable are they for, uh, for schools going forward? How reliable is Jaden Rashada going forward? Well, I think though, you talked about something happening here in the background as if maybe the NCAA's presence was there in the background. I don't think that's the case because I think we would have heard about it if they did. I think it's much more likely that, well, the 13 million, it's dependent on you performing. It's depending on you being the starter. It's all of a sudden it's not so guaranteed. It's the big number that's put out there. And what you have here is, in comparison to professional sports, where a professional player is represented by somebody who's a professional at this, who's done this before, lawyers, they know where the small print is and how to interpret it. Here, who is advising this kid? Is it Uncle Fred, who, you know, once played football for Podunk U, so he must know? And yeah, and you also you have a kid who's 17 years old and you flash 13 that number of 13 million out in front of them, certainly going to respond. So I do believe that that kind of thing is going to settle down. So the next time Florida says, hey, Mr. Five Star Quarterback, come our way, we'll give you this big money. They're going to say, hey, wait a minute. I'm not so sure. And whether it's Florida or even somebody else, I think it's been a valuable lesson for all these high school players and they're going to be more cautious. Yeah. And and I think those are really good examples of having a structureless environment in which to be trying to conduct these things. And you're talking about high school kids who are trying to find representation or advice or whatever to negotiate these things with high powered universities and high powered collectives. Ultimately, I think the marketplace on, on this is pursuing maximum dollars as a 17 or 18 year old when anything can happen in the future. You can go nuts and be worth more than that. You can fizzle out and be less than that and be exposed to you know the real tough business environment where you get ditched uh, by everybody who was part of that. And I, I think the long-term thinking is, hey, it's great if I'm able to make, let's say $2,000 a month and live and be able to do whatever I want to do without bills, without anything. Like my, my school's paid for, but I'm ultimately working for the big payday of playing in the league someday. And that's going to be development oriented all the way. You know, getting carried away with money as a 17 year old isn't really sound long term thinking, I feel like. And certainly you can have it both ways, I suppose. Um, but, you know, in, in the end, I think nothing really fully replaces uh, being a uh, subjected to a really good development plan and becoming a really good college football player who plays in the league for four, five, six, 10 years or whatever. That motivation is still there. And is ultimately the number one thing I think that 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 should be um, in players' minds coming out of high school. And Dustin, I think it's worth pointing out we just got done watching the NFL Conference Championship games, 
And let's look at the quarterbacks. You had Joe Burrow. By the way, he didn't finish at the school he started. He was a transfer when he was beaten out. Jalen Hurts, another transfer who went from Alabama to Oklahoma. Uh, Patrick Mahomes was not highly regarded coming out of high school. I think he was just a three-star. And Brock Purdy, who went to Iowa State. So the quarterbacks may be the sexiest name coming out of high school, but putting all your eggs in that quarterback basket may not be the smartest investment either. And we've done shows in the past looking at the five-star quarterbacks, and they are not a sure thing. So I think you've got to put that in. I'll tell you what, Dustin, um, we're going to continue talking NIL in our next segment. There's so much more that we have to get to. I know you have a thought. We'll lead off with that when we get to quarter number two. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galante along with Dustin Hawkinsmith. Dustin, in segment number one, we were talking NIL. A lot to talk about, so we're going to let that spill into segment number two. Um, I was talking about the, the dangers of putting all your eggs in the quarterback basket. I know you wanted to react to that. I, I think it's... You know, the, the point that you're trying to make is a really good one. And we've talked about this again and again and again. We did that, you know, the five-star segment where you went back and looked at all the five stars and, and if they succeeded and how many of them ended up seeking a fresh start. You know, that's a tough, it's a tough circumstance to arrive at college, really thinking that the moment you stepped on campus, you arrived. Uh, and and sometimes, you know, the the judgment of, quarterbacks takes a lot more than that you know the ability to process and see and and feel it out and recognize coverage and all the different react under pressure 
I mean, there's a lot of things you don't know about kids coming out, even the ones that have all the ideal athletic attributes. You know, there are some that are so athletically gifted and maybe it's, this is Jaden Rashada and, and his future and his ceiling that you don't have to be as crisp or as clean in, in your processing and intangible stuff, but ultimately intangibles make or break that position and who is worth $13 million coming out. And when will you get $13 million worth uh, of that player? You know, is he ready year one or not? Is it going to take two or three years to develop or not? If it takes two or three years to develop into an actual, you know, starter, there's a good chance that that kid is going someplace else. And then where are you with that, with that money? So it's just risky business all around putting that type of money into a player who's never played at that, at the level that you're paying them for. You know, I think about Nick Singleton's deal with West shore home and uh, nobody really wanted to get into uh, figures with that, but it was a very modest amount of money. It was not $13 million. It was really um, market price for somebody who has certainly a lot of upside, but still hasn't proven anything yet. And that's the deal that they signed where it made good practical sense for the business because you have some upside there and you're also paying a practical amount of money. It made sense for the player to put his toe in the water and get that first check and, and know what it means to follow through on some of the obligations and stuff to have a real structure um, and, and expectations to meet and responsibilities and contractual stuff going on, you know, just throwing money around to, to get kids on campus. I think we're starting to learn even earlier than I expected. That's not, that's not a very sound or long-term oriented business plan for anybody involved. It's a very good point. And also Dustin, the quarterback position, just like if we were to be talking transfer portal, the rules at quarterback are different than everywhere other position because only one guy could play. And it is so volatile. And I'll remind you, even prior to this um, NIL money, you have situations where kids were saying, hey, I'm a four or five star. I'm going to Ohio State or I'm going to Alabama. Well, guess what? If that happened every year at Ohio State, you have three or four of these five, four or five star guys. Only one of them gets to play at Alabama do you realize at one point on campus at the same time, Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Mac Jones, three NFL quarterbacks were on campus at the same time. So who are you investing the money in? And it, you're right. It's not necessarily a smart decision for the player, nor the people investing that money. So how they how they spend that is, is important also. But it leads to then the next question, forget just the quarterback, how about how this overall money is spent? And, and it's funny, we talk about Rashada in Florida and the $13 million number, because not too long ago, you had Ryan Day saying $13 million is the money he needs to retain his whole team. Yeah, and it, it, is, it is striking that that figure happens to match. Um, I have no idea how Ryan day came up with $13 million. I don't know if it was, it was um, a, a price per position or if it was um, looking at the types of guys that they had and what they're worth. I don't know how in depth that number was, but what was striking about Ryan day coming out and saying that is nobody really said something like that before. 
nobody really quantified what all this is going to mean and whether it came from wherever it came from uh it really kind of set the conversation going forward and opened some eyeballs in terms of what needs to get done on campuses and at collectives to make sure players are getting fair market value for what they're worth and if they're not getting fair market value for what they're worth are they going to open their eyes and look someplace else and james franklin had the answer to this and said what was it that ohio state said they needed 13 million dollars why would we need less than that you know he's got this real chip on his shoulder about if ohio state and michigan need this and do that and receive this and get this funding why would we trying to compete with those guys and beat those guys not get not need or get that type of money too and it's fair, you know, it's fair in, in all these circumstances for James Franklin to say uh, it comes off as whiny, which, again, I mean, we've talked about this fact with James Franklin before. Uh, just because what he's saying is true doesn't mean it's received particularly well or doesn't mean it doesn't sound like excuse making or something uh, to be saying it, you know, to say all the things that went wrong in 2020. OK, that might be true, but you have to own the fact that you went four and five, you know, so. Um, but anyway, this, I don't know if that $13 million is, is as valid, more valid or less valid today than it was before. I don't know if that's a fair factor figure, but I have to imagine it's not that far off. If you want to keep guys satisfied and, and getting what they deserve and, and getting, uh, at your school where he's already at, uh, at least in the ballpark of how much money he would get going someplace else, then you need to provide that and make sure that that disparity isn't huge. Because if you can go to USC and get, get two times or three times or four times as much, if that's a motivation for a kid, then he has more freedom than ever in today's college football climate to make that transfer happen. Well, Dustin, I'm not sure how important that figure is. If 13 million is the right number or is it 10, 15, 20, but I think there's a, a philosophical difference in how teams approach this. And Ryan Day was saying that's what he needs to retain his current team. And I think that's important because I think that's the way James Franklin looks at NIL right now. I want to retain the players I have. You started our show by talking about Penn State and so far has not been affected by this with the big money where Someone is coming in and saying, hey, Drew Aller, we'll give you 10, 12, 13 million dollars. Come play for us. So what James Franklin is looking at as his strategy is let me keep these players that I have come here, have proven themselves. We want to retain them. We don't want to lose anybody. And we're not going to go spend that big money to bring people in where there are some programs Texas A&M is that perfect example. They spent all that money on a recruiting class. So far, it doesn't look like a great investment. No, and, and it's it's really rich that Jimbo Fisher would be offended when somebody says that he bought that <laughs> class because there's no way him as a coach, his vision, Texas A&M is a fine establishment and they've gotten big time players before. No doubt about that, but eight out of the top 25 in the country, all five-star players, I mean, Obviously, they were offering something that somebody wasn't. Um, but, you know, like I, I just keep coming back to, okay, let's just use that 13 million. Everything keeps coming back to 13 million. Uh, you give that to a kid and you say in five years, you won't develop 
you won't be happy. You'll be under all this undue pressure. Um, all these things are, you know, have potential to go wrong because you use the wrong motivation to pick a place to play and to pick a coach to play for and a program. And, a you know, maybe it's a, a city or a town that you didn't like, or maybe, you know, you weren't all that blown away by the people you met uh, on your visit there. I think a lot of kids would give that $13 million back if they could to go to a place where they were happy. They were with players and teammates and, and uh, coaches that they connected with. They developed in a sound way. The pressure was, you know, no more than, than the average student athlete goes through. Um, you know, you just have to be careful with that. If you have the opportunity to not put that, you know, six or seven figures uh, or I'm sure seven or eight figures above all else in your development plan as a football player, it has a chance to pay off. But like, I get it. Like it, it that's game changing money. For, for some, you don't always have the luxury coming out of high school, depending on what your family situation is or whatever, to not prioritize that money. Or you have people around you uh, who don't have the best intentions for you, who are steering you into that money now because they benefit from it now where it doesn't benefit you later. You know, it just adds all these complexities that I think we haven't fully weighed or measured uh, just yet. And uh, I, I don't think is a healthy um, starting point for, for young kids. What I find interesting, Dusty, is you talked about how Jimbo Fisher was offended that he was told he bought his talent. What I find interesting is that came from Nick Saban, who yeah. for so many years had the advantage of being at Alabama, who spent so much money on everything else, the facilities and so on, which would mean he got something like eight of the top 25 players in the country. And it leads to the conversation of will this NIL money upset the apple car and will lose parity? My question is what parity we've had <laughs> Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia dominating the game. Now, no matter what you think of Texas A&M, if Texas A&M, changes the structure of power and now becomes a power because they're spending money. Is that ruining parity or is it creating more parity? You know, typically I'm all for anything that disrupts that four teams dominate everything or two teams or three teams dominate everything, but not like this. I mean, Alabama had all these advantages and stuff because they created those advantages. You know, they won so big that they created revenue streams that allowed them to, to make these facility upgrades and stuff. They had a track record of winning and developing players and sending players to the NFL. Jimbo Fisher at Texas NAM didn't have any of that, but was able to kind of swoop in and, and have somebody cut some checks and try to make up that margin uh, overnight. And I, I don't know. I'm all I'm great. Go, go for it. But I, I don't think it's the way to sustain parody or create parody in any way more often than not it's going to explode in your face just like it looks like it's doing here it, it certainly does look that way and next segment uh dustin we're going to talk about the big 10 looking for a new commissioner and what they are going to be doing about nil and all the other issues facing college football stay tuned for that hey guys this is andrew from 409 tailgate club here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. 
So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsworth from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. He's Dustin Hawkinsmith. I'm Jim Galante. Dustin, we spent the first two segments talking about NIL. This segment, I want to talk to you about the new Big Ten commissioner. Hasn't been hired yet, but whoever it is, they're going to have to deal with NIL along with a lot of other things. This is a big job. It's a powerful position within college football. One could argue Big Ten commissioner, Southeast Conference commissioner might be the two most powerful guys in, in college football. At this stage of the game, I, I would definitely argue that, you know, especially th- those two conferences and the role that they're expected to play going forward and how the expectation, you know, whether it's right or wrong at this point, that they're going to have this gravitational pull and they're going to dictate everything. You know, they're the most valuable conferences out there. They've already, you know, with the SEC and Oklahoma and Texas and then the Big Ten with USC and UCLA. I mean, they've already delivered some pretty big early blows that suggest they're going to continue setting the pace and they're going to continue uh, getting the biggest television deals. And they're going to continue being the force that everyone else is trying to keep up with. Um, so yeah, to be in cho- in the, in the head seat uh, in, in this situation, I think it's, it's been a powerful job for a while, but it's only getting more powerful and it's only getting more complex and more difficult to do because, you know, I feel like on one hand, you know, looking back at Jim Delaney and, and the job that he did, it's a very singular focus back then of maximizing value for all the different partners and constituents in the Big Ten. And typically that meant maximize whatever your television deal is um, coming out. Now that's always going to be a factor. I think the 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 fact that the next television deal is always going to be the richest television deal. You know, there's always going to be pressure to keep going up and up and up and, and keep, you know, leapfrogging whoever signed the latest one. That's always there. But now I think you have to really have some vision about what's happening in the future with the playoff and expansion and mega conferences. And do you have divisions? Do you not have divisions in addition to, 
uh, television and, and the importance of, of signing maximum dollar deals there. You know, I, I think the, the pressure is more multifaceted now, and it's just a really interesting position to be in as a, as, as one of the two major conferences to be without a leader right now. Like, I don't know what dialogue is happening between the SEC and other universities or whatever. I don't know what um, these guys are doing right now to, to better position themselves for the future. But the Big Ten has a very noticeable void in leadership as you're trying to jockey for position. And um, I, I know it doesn't feel urgent. It did feel urgent like over the summer. But I'm sure there's urgency right now to get get the, the the right person in there and continuing to make the Big Ten, you know, the power conference that it is in all these different areas. Um, I would argue there's no void in leadership right now, Dustin. All they do is they check in with Michigan and Ohio State and see what they want. And <laughs> what do you want, Gene go. Smith? Okay, let's do it. It's, which, which, by the way, Gene Smith is the athletic director at Ohio State. We're not here to talk about who the next Big Ten commissioner should be. The only thing I will say is who he should not be, and that's Gene Smith. The last thing in the world this conference needs to do is be more Ohio State or Michigan-centric, okay? That's, yeah. that, that's the only thing there. But let, let's move on to some of those questions that the new commissioner will have to take care of. And one of them, I think, is expansion because you got to think it's not necessarily over. Uh, Southeast Conference, they put out the first punch by bringing in Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Ten responded with USC and UCLA. Now, a Midwest Conference adding two West Coast teams. The question is, are they done with that expansion? Are they, Dusty? It is hard for me to believe that that was the first and only bit of expansion. And you know, I'm sure they're they're still continuing to work on what logistics mean. Not so much for football, uh, and I know there there are some ways that you can try and minimize the the travel burden, especially for all these other non revenue type teams out there, the ones that are going to travel a lot too. Um, but to me, it just said, okay, this is the first step towards creating like a west and an east, or creating a west central north and south or something it, it was the first step towards becoming a national conference like the sec what they did was grab two mega brands in oklahoma and texas and but they were able to stay semi-regional with it but the big 10 has always been had this flair for geography like on one hand adding nebraska and on the other hand adding television markets with rutgers and maryland which you know i think Maybe some of the leadership would go back in time and not do uh, those. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it just makes a lot more sense to have other Western-oriented schools that they you're able to kind of consolidate and make and have the West play the West and only cross over occasionally or something. Like, it just seemed like not the last step to me. Like it made a lot more sense to add more Western-oriented schools, whether that's Oregon or Washington or Utah or how, how West they are, I'm not sure, but... Um, it just, the way that it's set up now, it really doesn't make a lot of, uh, geographical sense, but I think it could, if you add more, I believe that's exactly what they should do. A couple more West coast teams. 
And you mentioned about they just did a TV contract. And the highlight of it, Dustin, was they had different networks, Fox at noon, CBS late afternoon, NBC in the evening. I think if you add a couple more West Coast teams, you could add one more TV slot that late night, 10 o'clock in the east, prime time on the west, if you added a couple more West Coast teams. But it also adds the question, Dustin, and I think it's the most immediate issue that a new commissioner will deal with, is divisions or no divisions. Probably got to go no division, right? The, the Big Ten might be the most glaring example of this, um, because foundationally, you know, you can say that power ebbs and flows and, and all that, but you know, the, the two most powerful programs, Michigan and Ohio state being on one side, almost assures that that big 10 championship game, it just doesn't feel like a title game, you know, so more, so much more often than not that last regular season game between Michigan and Ohio state really is the championship game. Um, and then obviously you throw Penn state in there. And I think Michigan state is a more consistent brand. I know they've had, issues you know recently but uh, as a more consistent brand than most of the west i would say so the east component versus the west i don't think that's going anywhere anytime soon so i think you have to address that not by shuffling the deck and redrawing um, division lines uh, but also um, just blowing it up let's make one big conference and the teams with the two best records at the end play for the championship and if that's Ohio State, Michigan every year, at least that'll be a true blue championship game. Or maybe championship games don't exist in the future. I don't really know where that part of it is going. But, you know, the, the East versus West dynamic in the Big Ten isn't going anywhere. You know, like I, I think the, 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 the idea of Wisconsin or Nebraska or Minnesota or Iowa jumping up to be a, a annual national contender, that's not coming. Which leads to the question then, Dustin, okay, you get rid of divisions, but you now have 16 teams. You can't play 15 conference games. How do you do this schedule? Yeah, I think that the schedule thing, it's it, it might just have to change no matter what. Uh, how Can you keep going in the future? Uh, I know this is a little bit off the exact topic, but can you keep going in the future where you're playing non-conference games and everybody else is playing eight? Can you keep, you know, in the future of college football where you're looking for every advantage that you can get uh, to, to, you know, play into the playoff, is that going to be sustainable? So that's one question of it. I think they can come up with rotating rivalries like they've already kind of done it already with the with the divisions. You know, you're going to have uh, teams from the West that you're going to play more often than others. Uh, I think there's there's plenty of room there to come up with a schedule that that's fair and balanced and, and to, um, to reassess that I'm not all that concerned about coming up with a viable schedule plan because it's doable. You know, it's doable some way or another where you can get to everybody over, over a course of a X year cycle. I, I'm not, I'm not that concerned with that logistics. Am I underplaying it? No, I think the logistics are actually fairly easy with a nine game schedule. You could have three rivals that leaves 12 other teams, split them up six and six. You could do home and away with each of those six teams over a four-year cycle. Over four years, you could see every team home and away and three teams that you see every year. And even with those rivals, you could rotate those after the four years. But the question becomes when setting up those rivals, 
the most logical thing for television is, oh, I want to see Ohio State, the best team, play Michigan every year, Penn State every year, USC every year. Same thing with the other teams, and you could end up with that same issue of the best teams beating each other up and eliminating themselves from playoff contention. You don't see Georgia playing Alabama ever unless it's in the conference championship game. So I think the Big Ten has to balance that into their schedule making. Yeah, I I, I do too. And and, uh, I'm a little jaded about this because it does seem like whatever TV wants, TV gets in these scenarios. It's it's driving everything. So, you know, like I – I feel like they want to come up with a schedule that's balanced and fair and competitive, but also gives you a good chance to, to actually do some winning on the other hand, you know, the, the TV deal, maybe the next TV deal dictates that you have to have these matchups every single year or something. But, uh, and just the whole fact, I mean, just to boil it down, I know we're running out of time, but just to boil it down where the money is, is where the sport is going. And you can argue back and forth, whether that's good for the overall representation of the sport or not good for college football. You know, I think the expanded playoff is something that a majority of fans want. Okay. So they go that direction, but in terms of creating mega conferences and stuff, I'm not sure it's what everybody wants. I'm, I'm, I'm certain that it's where maximum dollars are. So this race and this thirst and this need for everybody involved to make their budgets, uh, which keep ballooning and ballooning and ballooning, you know, for that to dictate all these moves, you know, I, I'm, I'm a little leery of it, I guess, but I do like the expanded playoff and uh, I do feel like players need to get what they're worth for whatever that's worth. And you got to remember the Big Ten's going to do what's best for the Big Ten, Southeast Conference for the Southeast Conference. The whole national picture isn't in the interest of the Big Ten uh, uh, commissioner and their athletic directors. That is it for quarter number three, Dusty. I'm going to sign off. Next segment, it's going to be you and Jeff Byers talking wrestling. Stay tuned for that. Hey guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to keystonesportsnetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's keystonesportsnetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love. 
We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone. Welcome back in. It's the Keystone Kickoff Show, quarter number four. Moving on to Penn State wrestling, coming off what I would say is the biggest duel of the year, probably in the country, certainly on the Penn State calendar. Big win over Iowa, 23-14. It was the second duel at the Bryce Jordan Center. Jeff Byers joins us to break it all down. We spent about 20 seconds on the Iowa duel last week, Jeff. We'll spend a little bit more time on it this time around. Um, Big picture of this thing. You know, I, I I can never get over the Iowa style of wrestling where it's we're going to try to take away what you want to do. We don't really know what we want to do, but we want to make sure you don't get to what you want to do. And and to be frank with you, a lot of times it, it was working for them, especially against those freshmen on Friday night. Yep. And I think that's why this, this dual meet is just really beneficial for Penn State to get under its belt as you make the turn toward March. Because, listen, if you're Shane Van Ness, you, you've got to figure out uh, how you're going to get the, the uh, points, how you're going to score uh, a takedown, how you're going to get out uh, from the ride of a, a really good, uh, experienced uh, opponent. Uh, and I just think, um, you know, Levi Haynes, I think, learned a lot, got a big win, but learned a lot uh, that I think will benefit him uh, down the road. You know, the one thing, and, and both Iowa and Penn State, their lineups are loaded with high IQ guys, meaning wrestling IQ. So that both these teams are going to uh, benefit, I think, long term from having wrestled against each other. Uh, They'll take some lessons back to the room, know some things that they need to work on for Penn State. I think, you know, it's, uh, hey, not everybody's going to come and and open up against you. You've got to figure out how to score points anyway. Like, that's just part of the game. Uh, And the great ones at Penn State have been able to figure that out. There were a lot of guys, you know, David Taylor made it look like everybody was opening up against him. He was going and creating uh, points and scoring opportunities against guys that are really good. Now, not everybody has, you know, the talent that David Taylor does to be able to go do that. But uh, again, you've got to figure out uh, how you're going to go get your points uh, in those big bouts when you need them. And, um, you know, I I think, again, I think this was a really good uh, opportunity for Penn State uh, to grow and to go back to the room knowing some things that they need to work on over the course of the next month plus to get ready for the postseason. And I think it's one thing I assume during the week to try to prep and practice and, and, and prepare for that. It's another thing to feel that in, in a match. And uh, they're not the Iowa might be the best at doing it, but they're not the last ones who are going to try to slow Penn State down. Uh, how about Vespa in the opener? I came down to talk to you before uh, the match began. You mentioned that he had weighed in. But, you know, off the whistle – he put Spencer Lee in a legitimate bit of danger for a few seconds there going with a low single. I think he stunned Spencer Lee off, off the whistle, got the head, just couldn't finish trying to cradle him up, but scored the first two of the night. And I would have to say for not only to, to threaten Spencer Lee, but to hold him to five points, that was a nice little showing for the backup one twenty five. Yeah, it was. And I think it's what Penn state was looking for with him is listen, I, you know, we uh, know that Vespa has some length. Uh, Spencer Lee, you assume, was preparing for Gary Steen. No reason that he wouldn't have been. And so you throw a little different look, a uh, different wrinkle. And 
Uh, I don't know for sure, but I'm I'm fairly confident that the conversation with Marco Vespa is go out like gangbusters, see if you can hit something big uh, right away. Uh, again, you know Spencer Lee is going to be able to figure it out as, as the match goes on. So the the best hope there is to get uh, you know get him caught. Uh, and Marco went out and uh, darn near did just that. And I think uh, you know got the Bryce Jordan Center crowd electrified right away. Uh, as you said, kept it to five, uh, which I don't think was insignificant uh, when you're breaking down the the dual meet in terms of uh, what Penn State and Iowa were looking for on the night. Um, you know, and my guess, and it's just a guess, is that Gary Steen, uh, you know, will be the, the start of the rest of the way. I do think, um, I don't think they wrestled off last week. I don't know that for sure. I didn't get into the room uh, the way I was hoping to during the week. We had some uh, issues in our family that needed addressed, so I didn't uh, quite get to follow up the way I normally would before a, a big dual meet like this. But I'm guessing that those two uh, will wrestle off. I, I still think Gary Steen, uh, gives you your best chance to get, uh, you know, opportunities uh, to score points in the postseason. Uh, but I think Marco, again, it was just a matchup thing. And we've seen Penn State do that uh, rarely, but on occasion in the past, most notably certainly would be Kassar, uh, you know, getting the the call against Colin Moore, and that obviously paid off in that Ohio State duel. And then that was the last we saw of Kassar that season. In fact, the last we saw of him at 197. Uh, before he bumped up the following year. But Shakur Rashid, you know, started the rest of the way. Again, I don't know for sure, but if I was guessing right now, my guess is it'll be a similar situation um, in terms of uh, how it plays out the rest of the season at 125. But special moment there for Marco Vespa, no no question about that. Well, and then, and by the way, I would I would think that your guesses are a lot more solid um, than, you're, than you're letting on. Um, so you give up five at 125. Then you get six at 133. And I don't, you know, obviously you couldn't take that for granted. But if somebody told you at, from the first two bouts of the night that you'd be plus one there. And, you know, for Rowan Bravo Young to pin Brody Teske late the way that he did, second straight win by fall over a ranked opponent. You know, and I think that's something that, I don't know, maybe RBY is adding that to his arsenal a little bit more. But he's a legitimate danger now, I think, for, for six points at any given time. And those six points were huge in this match early on, and especially the way that it played out later with Iowa winning some of those toss-up matches. You needed those six. Yeah, no question. It was huge. And I think Roman just has a really good feel for the sport right now. He's really improved his top game. I mean, the, the cradle obviously didn't come from the – the top uh, position in this particular case. But I do think he's a guy uh, that's looking for points when he's on top uh, and is always looking to maximize the, the output. It was a great way, obviously, for him to close out his Jordan Center career uh, portion. Uh, and, yeah, I think the back-to-back pins are, are indicative of the fact that Roman is looking to go out and dominate. Um, you know, And it was a special night for him. I know his grandparents were in from – uh, Arizona, and uh, I think we talked to, on the post-match interview on the Big Ten Network about the fact that his birthday was Saturday. So it was just kind of a, a really neat moment for him uh, against a former teammate. And I know those two are, are good friends and will remain good friends, but uh, that was a, a big opportunity, uh, and it was uh, certainly capitalized on by Roman Bravo Young. And, yeah, I think he's a threat anytime he goes out. Uh, to at least get bonus points, you know, maybe Dayton Fix would be the one exception to that. I, you know, I would never say never, but I'm certainly not yeah. expecting bonus points against 
uh, Dayton fix. But I, I really think against anybody else, uh, Bravo Young has that type of uh, capability for sure. You mentioned opportunity, and we talked about this opportunity for Bo Bartlett at 141. You know, I couldn't help but be maybe be a, a little disappointed with the, the way things went, but I also kind of look like, you know, the first 45 seconds were by far the most aggressive that Real Woods wrestled. And it looked like the game plan was very much, you get the first two, you know, he's going to have a hard time generating offense against you. And that's the way that it played out. Tight decision, I think it was 4-2, uh, just trying to recall. But, um, Bo, even even in those times where there was, it was desperation mode, it looked like he kind of struggled to move forward and, and find his offense there. That's something I'm sure he's going to take into the room. Yeah, yeah, I think it ended up 4-1. But, yeah, Bartlett, is he's he's got to be able to create offense against those top guys. And, again, it was a situation where he really hadn't faced – you know, the, the upper echelon guys yet at 141, just the way the schedule is played out. So I do think that that was uh, a real good feel for him to get. Uh, obviously, you'd rather get the win, but I think that loss uh, gives Bo a real idea now of, okay, the, if I want to get on top of the podium and not just uh, get up there and be an All-American, but actually win the whole thing, uh, yeah, I've got to make some adjustments in terms of uh, my scoring capabilities. Um and yeah, Woods, I, I think executed a, a really solid game plan. I've been really impressed with Real uh, and the way he's coming on here at Iowa. He's always a really good wrestler at Stanford, but I do think he's a guy. We talk about the Penn State kids all the time, you know, jumping a level or two from one season to the next. Uh, and I think Real Woods has clearly, definitively jumped the level from where he was at uh, last season with Stanford. I'm gonna I'm gonna lump the freshman in. We talked about this a little bit, but. Um, I think Levi Haynes, you know, it's sometimes it's easier to learn lessons when you lose, but I think it's more fun to learn lessons when you win. Uh, but Alex Facundo and Shane Van Ness, similar lessons there about breaking through ties, underhooks, I think, in Facundo's case, and, you know, really just being able to work your offense. I think, you know, Levi Haynes is the most chame chameleon-like wrestler of those three, so he was able to find a way there. But I think Facundo and, and Van Ness, this was an opportunity to see where they need to work on and where they need to improve. But I think just overall, you know, to go one and two in those matches with the freshmen wasn't quite what Penn State was looking for. No, I and I think a little different in all three cases. I think for Van Ness, it was just situational wrestling. Um, and I think he's just got to keep the pressure on a little more from start to finish. Uh, but again, I, I part of the learning process and you know all three of his losses have come against really really good wrestlers and have been close matches so I, I think he's going to be right in the mix uh 165 I think it's just going to be wild to hit the Big Ten tournament uh and at nationals I mean I there's probably six guys at Big Tens and probably 10 to 12 at nationals that you could throw in a hat and again on any given day so it's you just again got to find the way all credit to Patrick Kennedy getting the, the quick escape. I mean, that was the, the bout uh, there when he got the uh, the quick escape in the first tiebreaker period. Um, and then, you know, Levi Haynes, I think, is, is he just needs more matches. I think this was a really good win for him to get, but I, I expect him to be able to widen the gap against a guy like Seabrook the, the next time they meet. I, I think it's just about learning and, and knowing what it is he needs to do to score more points as he moves forward. Nelson Brands didn't exactly threaten Carter Storacci. He did mimic his dancing at the end of it, did his job, and, and kept it tight. Um, Greg Kirkfleet, early takedown against Cassiope to get a good win there. But I wanted to, you know, we have about 30 seconds or so here. I wanted to just point out that the last two times that Jacob Warner has wrestled 
uh, Max Dean. It hasn't been all that fun. Two years ago, the bow and arrow literally had him screaming. And this past year, I think he really gassed out and, and really had to face the wrath of his coaching staff in the corner. But I think he would be okay not wrestling Max Dean again for a while. Yeah, I don't think that's a matchup he's looking forward to. And and Dean, uh, he's like Zane Rutherford in, in terms of his ability to just wear you down. He he just grinds uh, for seven minutes. And it is, it is not fun <laughs> for the opponent. And you know when you've wrestled Max Dean, win or lose. I mean, even the, the couple of matches he lost this year, uh, you know, I think Michael Beard and Ethan Laird will tell you that it was uh, hard-earned and – yeah, I think uh, that is not a great matchup, but you know, sometimes it's just styles, and that's not a good one for Warner. Well, Jeff Byers, always a good style for us here on the Keystone Kickoff Show. That's it. That's the show. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to check us out at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com for all your Penn State football and Penn State wrestling needs. We'll see you next time. Hey, guys, this is Andrew from 409 Tailgate Club, here to talk to you about our new coffee barbecue dry rub set. Over the years, we've developed some great tailgate sauces and barbecue dry rubs, but our new coffee rubs are totally unique spice blends, low in sodium, and feature Happy Valley's finest coffee, W.C. Clark's, roasted right in the cheese shop in downtown State College. So head on over to 409tailgateclub.com, grab yourself some coffee rubs, and remember, always tailgate with honor. We are. Hi, this is Dustin Hawkinsmith from the Keystone Sports Network. For the best Penn State football analysis and commentary, go to KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. The rest of the KSN team and I will bring you game reviews, player evaluation, recruiting news, and plenty more. You may even hear directly from some of your favorite recruits. That's KeystoneSportsNetwork.com. You can also take Keystone Sports Network with you. Go to your app store and download Keystone Sports for your mobile device. For Penn State football news 52 weeks a year, count on the Keystone Sports Network. StateCollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, StateCollege.com. Trust StateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.